I got to be honest, when I got it first, I was super like, like this is not going to work. You know, it's going to be something really weird. It's going to be, it's not going to work so well. And I started testing it with like clients of mine when I was on calls with them or friends and it worked so well. And I was like, no way, this is so cool. What's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 55 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by David Bagdasarian, the co-founder and CEO of Crisp, which is one of my new favorite tools. If you haven't heard of Crisp before, it is a software that uses AI to filter out background noise while you are on a call. So for example, if you are working at a coffee shop or you're working from home and you have your kids in the background who are crying or screaming or something like that, Crisp is able to filter out that background noise while you're on the call so the people on the other side of the call don't hear any of it. And at first, I was pretty skeptical, but I decided to give it a try when I was out at a coffee shop a couple times, and I was absolutely amazed by how well it worked. Uh, It just completely blew my mind, and I knew that I had to have David on to talk about it. And during this interview, we discuss why he moved to Silicon Valley from Armenia, where he was born, how David came up with the idea of Crisp, and what his experience growing a startup in the Silicon Valley V world was like. David also shared what he believes to be the top thing a company needs to do to run smoothly when working remotely. We also got to chat about David's home country of Armenia and what it's like to live and run a business from there. And to be honest, it sounds pretty awesome and I certainly look forward to checking it out once we can travel again. Like always, you can find the full show notes and all the resources mentioned during this interview over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 55. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 55. And if you're enjoying this podcast and haven't done so already, please consider leaving an honest review. The easiest way to do so is to go to my Instagram at mitkoka, that's M-I-T-K-O-K-A, and click on the link in the bio to choose the newest episode and easily leave a review. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this interview with David Bagdasarian. All right, well, David, welcome to the show, man. I'm so excited to uh, have you on here, and thank you for taking the time to uh, be on the show with all this COVID stuff going on. I, I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thank, thank, thank you. Thanks for having you yeah, man, I'm really excited to have you on because uh, you are the co-founder of one of my new favorite tools and softwares out there called Crisp. Um, I, I'm not joking when I say that I have been spamming all of my friends about Crisp since I found it. And so I was like, I have to have you on and we need to talk about this because it's, one of my, it's seriously one of my favorite tools. And for people who uh, maybe don't know about Crisp or haven't heard about it yet, do you mind giving us a quick summary of what Crisp is and what it does? <laughs> so Crisp is, is, is a pretty simple app. It comes as a virtual microphone. Uh, you can install it on your Mac or Windows or Chrome now, right? And uh, it will mute all the background noise. Uh, 
uh, in, in conversation like this, you know, whether you, you, you talk over Zoom, uh, Google Meet, you know, uh, Squadcast or Skype, you can click a button and eliminate all the background noise, screaming kids or, you know, barking dogs. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's, that's, that's as simple as that. So, you know, when I'm working remotely, I love going to coffee shops or co-working spaces and I've always historically had to be like, okay, cool. I have a call at 2 p.m. I need to be back from the coffee shop by 1.30 so that I can do my call. And, you know, with Crisp now, I'm like, I don't, I can stay at Starbucks or I can stay at the coffee shop and it's totally fine. And that's why it's been so awesome is that I get to spend more time outside of the house, which is, you know, what remote workers like doing. Uh, unfortunately, right now we got to be locked in. And this is where, like you said, you know, if you've got screaming kids in the background or dogs barking or construction or whatever, it does an amazing job. I got to be honest, when I got it first, I was super like, this is bullshit. Like, this is not going to work. You know, it's going to be something really weird. It's going to be, it's not going to work so well. And I started testing it with like clients of mine when I was on calls with them or friends and it worked so well. And I was like, no way, this is so cool. So I'm super excited. Thank you guys for putting that together. Um, where did the idea for Crisp come from in the first place? Yeah, well, uh, it, it, it was very personal to me. So I, I was working for a company called Twilio. I don't know if you know, if you know that. Uh, it's a, like a large communication platform right now, San Francisco. So I used to travel, you know, a lot, especially back to Armenia, where I'm from. And because of the time zone difference, you know, I had, you know, I had to, like, do meetings at Twilio, but it was, like, an evening or nighttime here. And I would end up being in different locations, different places with I always wish there was a button and click and, you know, I feel well, way, you know, more comfortable during this call. So it, it's, you know, it's pretty much that vision that I had, right, or that, you know, wish that I had what we implemented in the last, you know, three, three years as, as an app. So it was very personal uh, to me. I mean, apparently to, to many people. <laughs> Yeah, you. I know you mentioned Armenian. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording. But uh, as somebody who grew up in Bulgaria and immigrated to the U.S., I am very interested. What's your story of how did you end up in California, having you know been born and growing up in Armenia? Yeah, well, um, well, I I've been raised here, so I was like I think I moved, when I moved there, it was I was like twenty five or something like that. So uh, I was I was an engineer. And uh, I got an offer from my U.S. company to go and join them. Uh, and I was always curious about, you know, Silicon Valley and, you know, having an adventure there. So, so I, it, 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 you know, it ended up being a pretty long adventure. Like, I spent like 10 years. And I'm highly connected to, you know, to the, to the Bay Area and San Francisco till, till now, you know. Uh, but, yeah, like, I went there, spent 10 years in doing, you know, different jobs and, I worked at Trulio, which you know, I'm very proud of. You know, it was a great company. I love it. But right after that, I decided to start a company, and it sort of coincided with uh, with our desire of my family and my wife uh, to move back to Armenia uh, for some time. So we came back, and and the, that was not the plan. But we we started the company uh, right away, you know, within two weeks. Uh, and uh, I got really excited, so I stayed here. You know, I, I travel a lot to U.S. Uh, till now. You know, our, business, our company is, you know, between U.S. and Armenia, and our business is really in U.S. So I'm very, you know, attached and connected to U.S., but uh, I live in Armenia right now. How has your experience as 
an immigrant, how has that affected the way in which you've gone about building a business? That's a good question. Well, when you're from a small country like Armenia, uh, you, you dream big. I mean, there is, don't get me wrong, there is no shortage of dreaming big in Silicon Valley. But, you know, you, you dream big and because uh, you know that you can have a big impact when you build something, you know, you know, large enough in a small country. So that has definitely impacted uh, and it still impacts a lot of our decisions. My co-founder, you know, thinks very much the same way as, 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 as myself. And, uh, you know, building a large, you know, global company while living in Armenia is, 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 is really a dream, right? So I think that's, that has that had a big influence on us. Yeah, I think a lot of people who are immigrants who go on down the path that you've gone down also have a little bit of that um, like chip on their shoulder a little bit, which I think goes along with, you know, dreaming big is you almost want to prove yourself. Like you want to prove that you, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you agree with that? Totally. Yeah. Cause you know, when we grew up, grew up, uh, these were very difficult times, you know, uh, for, for, for me, after Soviet collapse, uh, you know, we had a war, so we grew up with, you know, not having a lot uh, material, right? So, uh, you know, achieving something big was, is, you know, like quite important in our lives. Uh, it's probably the same pretty much everywhere, but, you know, for when you're from a small country, that's, I think, it's like 10x or something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I mean, um, you know, my parents have a lot of the same feelings. And uh, it's been interesting now with all of this, um, you know, COVID stuff going on is how my parents have reacted to it. Because with everybody freaking out in the US and, you know, supermarkets being like uh, emptied out and stuff like that, my parents are like, oh, it's like Bulgaria in 1996. You know, it's nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we've seen this before. So that's been interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a, an interesting way to kind of observe that. But you know, you mentioned, you know, being in Silicon Valley and a lot of the listeners of the show are bootstrapped. They're bootstrapping their own businesses or they're freelancers who will eventually, you know, turn their practice into bigger, into like a, a, a business, a, a legitimate, you know, kind of like business. What has your experience been with the VC world? Because that's something that, like I said, not a lot of people listening to this uh, have had experience with. And what has been your experience with it? And would you recommend it to uh, founders? I think like in general, there, there are two paths for a company, right? Um, and they are probably like, in a sense, mutually exclusive. Uh, so you either go like bootstrapping a company, and if you're lucky, that's, that's your path. That's a good path to have, right? Uh, and then uh, the other path is VC path, which is, which is also great, you know, like, we are a VC-backed company, and, uh, like, being VC-backed, like, getting introduced to that world, and then uh, having the opportunity to, to uh, talk, you know, and brainstorm with many VCs, that has actually influenced our business significantly, right? Uh, like, if you can bootstrap your company and if you, st- if you see the path to very big, large, you know, building a very big company, I think that's great. There are many like, great examples of that where founders were able to bootstrap and then build a unicorn company, like a really large company, right? And I think that's 
that it's provided that many things must align for you to be able to do that. Because if you want to be a unicorn, you know, your growth must be like super accelerated. And you typically you need cash for that, right? Uh, and then like in the VC-backed world, um, you know, that path is highly optimized on like growth, right? Investors put money in, in, into you and they want the complex growth. That, that's a math that they have in, in mind, right? Which pushes you to think about that, like be under stress and, and deliver that growth. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing, right? It's good because you're building a you know, accelerated business. It's bad because it's very stressful. So, uh, like, mentally, these are like, different, different, different paths. Um, so, and obviously, also, like, if you're bootstrapped, you know, there's no division there, and you can build like a very healthy business, and then go to the VCs and, and then grow money and get, you know, get funding, right? That's a way better position to be in general, right? Because you know, you're just in a, in a more extreme position. So, very, very, very different paths and very, very different dynamics. Both are both are great. Uh, so if we were to make it really easy for the people listening who maybe are considering, you know, should I, you know, start going down the VC world? Should I maybe get into some um, startup accelerators and maybe hunt after that VC or should I stay bootstrapped? Who would you say the VC path is for? Like, like, can you describe that so that maybe listeners can be like, oh, that is totally me. I should do it that way. Or that's not me and I should stay as a bootstrap. Like, what kind of business would you say or what kind of founder would you say you have to be to the VC world being like your route? Uh, okay, so in general, like... I think accelerators are a great place, right? Like we went through Berkeley Skyac Accelerator and it helped us a lot, right? Because uh, especially for one time, I mean, first, first time founders, you know, there's a lot of things you don't know and you have no idea about. Uh, and uh, like getting that exposure, getting, you know, the opportunity to talk to so many like experienced folks uh, starts to like... Uh, shape your your understanding of you know how you build a business, especially like fast growing business, right? This is the key, like fast growing business. Like we are talking about startups, so it must be a fast growing business. That is what your mindset should be. Now uh, like yeah if you if you like for us uh, like we have spent three years building this technology. It's it's a very unique technology. It's it's a lot of math and deep learning involved in this. Um, and Having like funding such research, uh, you know, we initially did that from our own money, right? But that was not sustainable. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone unless you're going to reach because you know, there's a lot of worlds starting to play because <laughs> you're, you're pretty much losing your life savings, right? That's that's not the right idea. Uh, but like, you need we needed money to fund this research because we, like, in the first really like first one and a half years, we didn't have. Uh, the, the technology, and we didn't have a product. So we were just burning cash. Right? And that, like, so for us, it was a very obvious path. We, we, we need like, VC money to, to, to make this work. Uh, and I think like, what's different for bootstrap companies, again, I'm not, I'm not like expert on that. I've never done that. But I think that if you have a company or business that 
which allows you to generate revenue from very, very early on, you get a sh chance to bootstrap the business, right? And especially when you have when you see the path to growing this revenue significantly and without you know growing your team or expenses significantly, it's a perfect formula for bootstrap. I would ten out of ten times I would say like try try that because of a number of reasons. Like especially like if even if you want to go to VC back to VC and get funding, it's way easier to go there when you already have traction and you have like revenue, you can you can talk business with VCs because that's what they care about, right? So yeah, like if you can get to like the bottom line is if you can get to like revenue and profit early on, like uh Go and bootstrap it and have advisors like who will give you a lot of good advice, right? You don't have to go to the VC world to get these advisors. Yeah, I think having a good understanding of both worlds is really important. When I got started in my quote-unquote entrepreneurial journey, I actually got involved in the startup world here in Cincinnati. And um, there was an accelerator here that, that's still here that's really fantastic. And even though they never thought any of my ideas were worthy of uh, going through the accelerator, I did essentially hang out with a lot of the people that went through it and who ran the accelerator for about two years. And that gave me a really good view of, hey, what does this look like? What does this process look like? I got to learn a lot, but I also, even though I decided that it wasn't the right path for me, that within itself, understanding how that world works is still beneficial. And I think that a lot of people who maybe are have just been stuck in the bootstrapped world, it could be really beneficial to attend some networking events, go to some of these things just to understand, you know, maybe there's something there for you that you didn't even know was an option yet. So I think having a good understanding of both worlds is really beneficial. And thank you, uh, you know, for kind of giving us uh, that view. Like just, you know, just hanging out and reading is not enough because uh, you're going to learn like, when doing it, right? So like that's why first-time founders, it's very, very difficult. Like, it's always difficult to build startups, right? But the first time it's really difficult because you, you just keep learning as it goes. And now, like, I'm pretty sure when I do my second company, there's going to be a lot of shortcuts that I do. No, like, and I cannot, like, unless you're a genius and exception, we're not talking about exceptions here, right? Like, generally, that's how it's going to be. So, like, you need to, like, do at least once to understand all the dynamics and how investors think and how they try to optimize for and what's the fundraising and all of that. So, yeah, absolutely. That's 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 a great point. Now, you mentioned that you have a co-founder a little bit early on. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about how did you find your co-founder? Um, why did you decide to have a co-founder? And what has been your relationship? And what is the dynamic of running a business with a co-founder like? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I was, I was very lucky. I'm very lucky to have a co-founder. So, um, well, Arthur, my co-founder, he... He was like super essential in, in, in building this business, right? We, we built this together, and uh, like the first time, actually, like I, I shared my, my personal experience, like well, how how come this we had this idea of like one button and noise thing, right? Uh, but the so the like the story is that I shared this with him. But I had no idea how, how like, to like, create such a technology, right? And Arthur is, is a brilliant guy. Like, he's multi-talented. So to give you like a short story of him, like, he, he, he holds a PhD in math. 
Uh, he also holds NBA. Okay, so he is like has both you know, knows both goals, and he started doing like entrepreneurship when he was eighteen. I think it's like his fourth or five, fifth company, and I think this is the most successful one so far. Uh, uh, but yeah, so he was like essential for Chris to 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 come to to this point, uh, and like uh, in many many ways, right? Like we we talk a lot, like we we all. Be, Whenever we have arguments, we are very able to resolve this. Like, uh, I'm, you know, we are blessed to uh, have this relationship together where we can go through these different difficult and exciting times together and, you know, uh, making decisions and not having, like, a lot of conflicts. Because, you know, founders, co-founders, you know, conflicts are, they can kill companies. I'm, I'm pretty sure the listeners know that. We were just about lucky to, uh, to be able to, you know, yeah and with with that in mind like what tips can you give people who are maybe already working with a co-founder in order to keep a healthy relationship uh working with that co-founder i'm sure that you've picked up on a on a, on a few things uh now working with a co-founder so what, what would your tips be uh yeah you know it's 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 tough uh it's tough like I keep saying we got lucky here. It's like the, the real reason is that we, you know, we have enough maturity, uh, you know, that we can, uh, you know, discuss any topic in, in this world, right? Uh, and that's that's the key. Like, it's, it's, it's like marriage, right? Like, I, I can discuss any topic with my wife, right? And, you know, we, we can have arguments and then we can, we can understand each other after talking to each other. And it's very similar to there. Like if if two people are not open and transparent enough and frank enough with each other, it's gonna like somewhere in, in, in the you know in the during the journey or path, it's gonna like become a big problem. Like you know, marriage, right? It's like people draw a lot of lines between I mean similarities between marriage and founding teams, right? It's it's, it's real. So uh, especially if the company like no matter where the company goes like grows like this or it's like you know having like difficult times, there is always very frank, transparent conversations, always like and then you you guys need to understand each other enough and trust each other enough uh, to overcome these difficulties together. It's all about talking. Yeah, you mentioned that your, you know, that your co-founder has a PhD and an MBA, which is uh, massively impressive. But I also noticed that he's not the only person on your team that holds some uh, pretty high, you know, uh, levels of education. I saw there are some other people who have PhDs and and so on and so forth. Obviously, attracting top talent is a huge key to building a really great company. Um, how have you been able to attract so much like top talent? Like, what are some of your tips for that? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I think we wouldn't be able to build this company in the US uh, because you know Google and Facebook would already have hired uh, if this team was in the US, um, and uh, that's that's a, it's a very big benefit that we started the company in Armenia. So uh, RTO had a really good lower of uh, researchers like uh, PhD folks that he has done his you know, PhD with. And our like, chief scientist stepped on his, uh, he actually argued that they did their PhDs you know, together, right? They studied together. And uh, like, 
uh, like another like very talented guy from our team. I studied at like, my uh, my school. We, we did the school together, like um, uh, yeah. Mid school, actually. Yeah, we did mid school together. He was like, like the, the most talented guy in school. So, <laughs> like, our rollbacks actually, like, being raised, born and raised here in Armenia, we, and Armenia has a lot of you know, talent for, you know, especially technical talent, right? Like, natural sciences. Uh, that helped a lot, actually, that those connections helped a lot to build this uh, initial team, right? Which is a fantastic, like, very, very talented team. Like, uh, like in, in three years, we were able to build uh, uh, three technologies in voice and video now uh, that are uh, that I can confidently say that they are best currently best uh, in the world in their category. Right? And that's like I'm so proud and I'm so impressed with what we were able to achieve uh, uh, with that team. So yeah, uh, it's 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 all like the secret was that we were in we were very connected. So how do you, I know that you guys uh, run the company remotely and that's something that you're very proud of. And obviously I'm super excited to uh, hear that as somebody who, you know, pushes remote work. Uh, what has been your experience running a remote team and how, you know, like what are some of the things that you found that help, uh, you know, a remote team function uh, at a high level? Yeah. Uh, to, to be clear, some of our team is remote. And uh, some of the team uh, we are we are in in, uh, in, uh, in an office, right? Right now, the entire company is remote, obviously working from home as a big part of the world, I guess. Um, so, like one challenge that I would definitely say is that you know building a uh, you know world class startup from Armenia is challenging, right? Uh, and mostly because you know your investor relationship is you know. All all the investors are in the U.S. And uh, the, the world is changing. Like, I can definitely say that the investors care less you know, where, we, where you are because of, because of Zooms and uh, increases of the world. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, yeah, it's always a little weird when, when you're not you know, close to them. Right? So that has been challenging uh, for, for us. But now it's changing a lot. So that, that's not a challenge anymore. Uh, like in terms of team, I think one key thing that works really well for us is, is, is transparency. Okay, so we are internally uh, we are super transparent, and and that's we do that for two reasons, right? One is we think that you know, like if you're not transparent. Like, People, you know, are not going to be motivated and excited about, you know, the company. Uh, not, not enough, at least, right? And the second is, like, when they know where, where the company is going and they know it, you know, from the CEO and from, you know, the co-founders and everyone, you know, the, the, the executive, they hear it every day. It helps to steer the ship in the right direction. Right? Like everyone is, you know, helping to, you know, drive this ship in the right direction. And like, if you know where you're going, you can go like this, or you can go like straight, straight to that. Right. So uh, by sharing about the business, sharing about the finance, like pretty much sharing everything. Like one rule we have is, like, uh, it's not a rule; it's just a recommendation. Right? Every time you want to share something in Slack, uh, and you don't know whether you need to share publicly or just privately. If you're not sure, 
definitely do publicly. Okay, so it's, it's a very simple rule, but it helps like share information and context uh, uh, to everyone. So that's like some something related to, to the notion of over communication, right? Which is very important for your work. But yeah, we, we try to do that as well, like over communicate things over Slack because you know because of. I definitely think that transparency in companies is something that's become a bit sexy in the last like five, seven years. You know, like there's a lot of like there's companies that are sharing their profits and their revenues online with like everyone. And there's definitely that movement of transparency, which which I appreciate as somebody who nerds out looking at that kind of shit online. Uh, I appreciate being able to dive into it and look at it. But I think that, like you said, specifically for remote teams, it's really, really important because it's so easy to have a conversation, just you and I, for example, in a direct Slack message. And then somebody who would have been a key player in whatever we're discussing is now left out. And so that's why I encourage people and clients that I work with is to set up channels and your channels in Slack to be your main form of communication instead of direct messages, right? Because those little nuances of you, quote unquote, overhearing, but almost like overseeing in a Slack, like those can be really important for the entire team to understand what's going on in the company, even if maybe you're not directly responsible for whatever that piece that's being worked on. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that transparency and, you know, there's a lot of different things that might breed out of that direction of transparency within within the company as well. Um, you mentioned that you're building an office. That's really interesting to me. Um, I love the uh, a lot of people think that I'm anti-office and I don't think that people should work together. That's not true. I I think that there's definitely cases in which it's it's beneficial. What made you decide to actually build an office and almost put down some company roots, so to say? Uh, actually, uh, I, uh, I think you misunderstood. Like, we are not building an office. We, we do have an office. Like, we are renting an office. Like, that's how we started. We started. When we started, we were not an office. Okay? okay. And uh, like, having a remote company in Army is where we were. <laughs> but not anymore, I guess. Like, I think it's not weird anymore, like anywhere, right? Like, people are like in, in the next, you know, two, three months, it's, it's going to be the normal, right? The new normal. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that being in the same location is absolutely efficient. Absolutely efficient. If you can afford that, uh, I, I would definitely choose that. But uh, long term, it might not be the most efficient thing, right? Because uh, the, the number one goal we have is, you know, hire the best talent available globally, right? If you're global, if you think about yourself as a global company, you want to hire the best people in the world. And, you know, if, you have, if you're thinking from office mindset perspective, you can only hire around that office, right? Like, let's say, like, 10 kilometers around that office, and that's like... If you think about like global scale, that's that's nothing, right? That's that's, that's a wrong decision to make. So that's why like, being remote is 
uh, is just you know it's being talked about it's, it's about like efficiency in this in, in this in the real right? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's like two types of uh, lack of talent issues. Uh, the one that a lot of people that I've spoken to deal with is like here in Cincinnati, for example, is there's a lack of tech talent. I think there's not enough tech talent physically here in the city for the companies who need them. But you almost had the opposite experience where you were in a place where in San Francisco, there's shit tons of tech talent, but they're already hired, right? So there's not some available. And so I do totally agree with you is that if you want to build the best company, it doesn't make sense to just look for in your tiny little locality because the best talent might not be where you live. Uh, and so it's 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 so helpful to be able to say, hey, actually the best guy for this is in Ukraine or the best guy or gal is in Ukraine and it doesn't matter, you know, that, that's why we hire them. Um, and yeah, I also think that for companies who are remote or maybe, you know, don't have the revenue to bring on uh, to have an office, because, you know, that's obviously uh, one of the benefits of saving. Um, one of the benefits of having a remote team is not having that overhead. One of the things that I found really helpful is um, having actually in-person meetings, even if it's once or twice a year. Uh, that's really helpful uh, as a quick tip. Uh, you mentioned, you know, your second company. Is that something that you're already thinking about uh, or is that just kind of, uh, you know, you know, it's eventually going to get there or is there something in your head already as to like what you want to move on to next? Uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, actually, I'm super focused on, uh, on crisp and uh, like if you want to really be successful with a company, you need to be so super focused on that. I wholeheartedly like, believe in that. Um, uh, there are people, I guess, that can do like multi multitasking within different companies, but I just don't get like my brain is just you know crashes when I imagine that. No, I just told that as a as a like a, you know something maybe like in the future, right? Because uh, like in the context I said that was about you know like it definitely like. I've learned so, so much about like, VCs and startups that next time when I do this, I'm going to do it like, a bit differently. So. A lot of the people listening here are pretty, um, they love to travel. They like exploring new locations uh, around the world to base themselves from. Uh, as an expert on Armenia, uh, you know, why should people come and check out Armenia? Is it someplace that you would recommend or is it a place you would recommend people come and check out? Uh, are there any sort of resources there for people who are entrepreneurs? Just would love to get a little bit of a picture of Armenia. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting time to, to be in Armenia, actually, uh, for, for a number of reasons. There, there was a revolution here like two years ago, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, and it's, it's, it was an exciting time for us because, you know, uh, we didn't like the political system uh, before, and now it's a very democratic you know, system. So with that, there's a lot, lot of energy uh, in the country, right? It's growing, all the economical you know, metrics are growing and so on. That, that's one uh, that's one thing that I would mention. The second thing, which is actually more important, is that uh, there is a lot of investments uh, that have been going into into uh, like schools, right? So like pretty much every school here has robotics in the lab, which is which is pretty amazing, right? Uh, and, and then there is like another thing called two more 
which, you know, every uh, kid, I guess, from like 11 to 17 years or something like that, it's free education. They can go and, and learn the creative arts, you know, programming, the game design. And, and, and the teachers uh, are uh, Armenians, mostly Armenians from all over the world. And as I mentioned, we are pretty spread in the entire world. They come here and, you know, like from uh, Pixar, you know, from uh, Nike, from, from Sony, they, they come here and they, they teach these kids, right? So, like, if you think about it, like, in the next five years, there's going to be so much talent, you know, talent that like, is very different than, than how I grew up, right? I, I turn, like, this is, this is, like, funny, but I, I turned on a, a PC the first time when I was, like, 20 or something, like, or now, actually, 18, right? That was the first time in my engagement with a, with a, with a computer. So these folks are, like, doing very, very early on, like, studying robotics. So in the next five years, I just predict that there are going to be a lot of unicorns of Armenia, and uh, that's, like, that's another reason to be here, because if something is growing, you want to be part of that. And the third reason is just, like, it's a pretty, pretty cool place to be. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, unlike many, many, many places, you know, the weather is great, uh, food is great, uh, there's, there, there were going to be a lot of tourists actually this year, but I guess, you know, COVID, you know, is, you know, changed those plans, but yeah, it's like, even if you're not thinking about, you know, starting a business in Germany, just feel free to come and you, you come and definitely enjoy it. Yeah, I'm really excited for that part of the world because another country that uh, I've been hearing a lot about and a lot of other people have been talking about on this podcast is Georgia. And uh, I'm just really excited for that part of the world because I think that it's one that's almost been, um, along with Eastern Europe, a little bit overlooked, I feel like. And now a lot of people are starting to see that there's all this potential and there's all this exciting stuff going on. And so uh, it it definitely sounds like Armenia is a place that I need to come and check out. And um, yeah, I'm... Thank you uh, for sharing that. Uh, finally, yeah, is amazing too, so. yeah, I haven't been. I was planning on going in September, and now that's up in the air because I don't know who knows if I'm going to be able to go or not. Um, to kind of wrap up, um, what's the future for Crisp look like? What are some of the new features that you guys are working on that people listening can get excited about? Um, and then, yeah, like where where do you feel like the company is going? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have we are very. You know, we are as a company, we are super fast. You know, our pace is faster, so we, we keep shipping stuff uh, very frequently. Like the last thing we shipped was uh, was Chris for Chrome, so it comes with a Chrome extension. You don't have to install like the full blown uh, Mac or Windows uh, uh, package to get the Chris experience. Um, and the next like big thing is going to be virtual backgrounds. Oh, very cool. So. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, like, you, know, you, know, you know, virtual backgrounds from Zoom probably, right? right? Uh, uh, it's going to be very similar to that, but it's going to work with, uh, with all the apps. Like, like uh, you can use it with Scott Scottcast or Skype or Google Meet, like anything, right? right? And, and I'm super proud of that. that. Like, like, we have been working like, 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 like a full year. Like, you know, it's, it's all deep learning and DSP and so on. So it's difficult technology. And I'm very proud that we're going to very, very soon. Yeah, one of the things that we didn't really touch on because it's not really my expertise is just how technologically savvy Crisp is as a software. Because uh, in you know doing research for this interview, I was like listening and reading some stuff on how Crisp works, and I was like, I don't know 
what any of this means, uh, but it sounds like you guys actually, and you mentioned this, like literally from the ground up, you've built some pretty impressive software. So uh, do you want to, you know, talk very quickly about how exactly it works? Because I, I do think that if I heard correctly, you guys were first uh, planning on licensing the technology to other companies, but then decided to actually make it as your own product. So uh, can you talk a little bit about how it actually works for people who might find that fascinating um, and, and just kind of share share that part of the, the business? We, we use, we, we use uh, uh, like a technology called machine learning or approach called machine learning. Right? So the idea there is uh, you, you, you train your system with a lot of real data and, and after it trains, right, uh, it, it starts to, you know, uh, it starts to perform some action that, that you have trained for. So in our particular case, we wanted to, to like, uh, be able to separate human voice from background noise, like in real time, right? So what we did, we went ahead and collected, you know, tens of thousands of hours of background noise and human speech, like very like, studio level human speech. And then we designed a neural network, which is, you know, which is a complicated system, right? Computer system. And then we trained this neural network with, with, by missing the, the paranoid and human voice, like with different levels of noise and different levels of voice. Right? We have pretty much like unlimited data amount of, you know, amount of data. And every time we train our uh, neural network, we say, like, look, this is like a noisy speech, and this is the clean speech of that noisy speech. This is a noisy speech, this is a clean speech. Noisy speech, clean speech. And then if you, when you do it enough, you know, enough time, like several days or weeks, your neural network starts to, you know, understand what's human voice and what's background noise. And then when you put it in the wild, it starts to do that by its own. Like it's pretty like magical, uh, magical technology, and it's very well that I describe. Right? There's a lot of math and you know intellectual property that we, we have designed uh, that makes it very specific to to us. Right? You know, it's not available out there, and that's why like. Unlike other companies, we were able to do this because we are, you know, we have a very talented team, and we we started this ahead of others. So, so as a as a company, we, we think we are ahead of the industry for some time, and it gives us another differentiator to move quickly and keep shipping very exciting technologies. Yeah, I think uh, even if people don't necessarily understand how all of that works, it's very important to understand how much thought and engineering came into me clicking a button and turning crisp on, right? Because you can almost take it for granted. But uh, it's it really is like when I was reading about like all the different like like how that technology was, but I was like, wow, this is like this is some real sci-fi shit, and I'm super excited that it's real. Um, so, David, thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking a little bit about uh, your journey and about Crisp. Um, if people are interested, uh, where can they come and, and find out more about you or about the company? Yeah, so, so uh, our website is on crisp.ai, crisp.ai, artificial intelligence. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you can reach me on LinkedIn, like Twitter. Um, my email is david at crispai. So uh, feel, feel free to reach, to reach out and, you know, go down the risk. It's actually a free software. Uh, it comes like two, two hours per week of noise cancellation for free uh, for lifetime. So uh, 
and actually we uh, due to COVID we, we, we made some we made Chris uh, entirely free for six months for uh, teachers, for students, for uh, government workers, for hospital workers, for nonprofits. So it's you know they, they can use it for the uh, six months. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that. that that's amazing. Uh, well, David, thank you so much again for coming by the show. Uh, I'm going to have uh, links to all the things that you mentioned for anybody that's listening so you can find them there. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, please stay safe uh, over there in Armenia. And who knows, maybe I'll see you in Armenia once all this stuff is over. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.